want to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives to share their top tips for success with you. Again, my name is Adam Torres, and you can follow me on Instagram at AskAdamTorres um, to find out everything going on with my book releases, the book tour, all that good stuff. Love to connect with you there. Um, I'm pumped. I'm excited. Today, I have Alex Berg on the line. He is the founder of CQ Selling, and let me tell you, we're going to go into his process. We're going to go into what the curiosity quotient is, because um, I'm curious to learn, but I'm also excited because I, I read a little bit about it, and uh, you're, you're in for a treat. Um, but first, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Excited to be here. All right. So let's Let's talk a little bit about your background because we're going to go into the curiosity quotient, what that means. Let's talk a little bit about your background in business and just entrepreneurship in general. Happy to, Adam. Um, I've been pursuing entrepreneurial ventures really all my life ever since I uh, made T-shirts in college. And then I had the audacity to think I could learn about entrepreneurship in business school where I studied <laughs> entrepreneurial management. Um, I've decided that's a bit of an oxymoron, learning about entrepreneurship in business school. But it's something that um, I've thought about throughout my career. Um, and I've always been in roles that require a lot of self-direction. So I sort of considered myself, if you will, an entrepreneur my entire career. Um, and, uh, and as I've uh, progressed uh, through a variety of sales and sales leadership roles, um, have learned that it's important to really encourage that sensibility uh, in all the people that I work with because without that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, you know, people don't have the energy and they don't produce the kind of results and innovation that you're looking for in your team. Tell me more about these T-shirts, Alex. I, have a, I, I, I want to know more about how this came about. Uh, you, you weren't getting off the line without more about these T-shirts, and then I'll share my T-shirt story to, to make you feel better. <laughs> you got it. Well, you know, I think that, you know, for me, the key – whatever you are selling is to identify uh, something that somebody needs and doesn't have today or a better way to deliver it. And uh, I, when I was attending uh, undergraduate, I went to a school that had a very strong soccer and lacrosse program, and our T-shirts were very boring. They basically had the, the university letters. And I had this uh, idea that, boy, if I just made a T-shirt, and this is way back before you could make T-shirts for a buck fifty online. It was a somewhat more arduous process, and uh, we created some T-shirts that had great images of our lacrosse and soccer players performing. And I started by ordering a gross, and I convinced the bookstore to sell them initially with no consignment fee, and they sold out in one day. My first order. Wow! Uh, so I went out and and bought another gross. And uh, at that point, of course, the bookstore wanted a piece of the action, so it cost me a hot fifty cents a shirt. Uh, and it was sold out uh, within the next week. Um, so I actually paid for my, it was my second year of school, uh, principally through this T-shirt company. Um, it, it never grew into a, an ongoing business, but it was a great way to, uh, to deliver on a need and, and earn enough money to make it through school. Oh my gosh, I love that, uh, and and I, I got to give you my my random T-shirt story. I don't think I've ever shared this on the podcast. I I mean I've been. I, I don't I didn't know I was a serial entrepreneur until I started talking more and writing about entrepreneurship and then I'm like wait a minute I've always had a business so one of my first businesses that I remember making I would argue real money like I could be up a hundred or two a week I was probably in um, what was it it was like between sixth grade and seventh grade 
And I was in my dad, he owned an auto body shop. And so um, he had, he always had that artistic bent, which I, I do also, even though I don't really do much anymore. But I, I used to airbrush T-shirts, like when they were in style. This is way back when, when people actually wore airbrush T-shirts. And, I, and people at school would buy shirts for me. They'd bring in like an album cover or this or that that they want to airbrush. And that's what I would do. So I'm like, whoa, another T-shirt guy? No way. I haven't run across one of those in a while. <laughs> well, and if I could add one other sort of interesting mm-hmm. little uh, point about this business was for some of your um, older listeners, they may recall the Mr. Bubble T-shirt, which was a bubble bath and it had a little animated bubble that was their um, was their mascot. And um, I actually um, sought out because he happened to be geographically proximal to where I was going to school. The, the guy who made the Mr. Bubble T-shirts and got him excited about my idea. And as a young entrepreneur, um, he gave me very favorable pricing, and it kind of uh, was wow. one of my earlier lessons in in how uh, when you can energize someone else and get them to feel your passion about an idea, um, you can get them really engaged. And, and it's all about uh, pulling together the best people and resources to deliver uh, whatever your value proposition is. And, and I continue to operate that way uh, to this day. No, I love it. No, I, I get it. And that's, that's, that's pretty, that's, that's amazing insight at that time. Myself, I was just sitting there drawing, so I didn't know. <laughs> I wish I would have had insight. I didn't, I didn't quite look at it that way. Um, but let's talk a little bit more. I want to get into what you're currently doing um, for your clients and, and how you help them. Let's talk about um, curiosity quotient spelling. Absolutely. Uh, so I, um, I've been in consulting throughout my career and starting, I would say, about 15 years ago, really began to focus on the sales component. And uh, I want to props to my sales sensei, a gentleman by the name of Mahan Khalsa, who wrote a book titled Helping Clients Succeed, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And it was the first time that I felt that sales really was a noble profession. Because if you Mm -hmm. take it for what it's intended to be, we need to understand what the person we're talking to a needs to achieve their dreams and help them get it. Full stop. That's selling. And if if people would realize that that's what salespeople are trying to do, they would have a much greater appreciation and much less cynicism. Um, and so I met Mahan about 15 years ago and started down this path of really focusing on selling. And one of the things that is uh, very uh, commonly referred to is the is the fact that people make their decisions emotionally. Even if you're in a very complex sale and in, in the business business environment, which is mostly where I've worked, you have on average 6.8 stakeholders um, that are involved in a typical enterprise decision. Um, even there, it's a question of an emotional decision made at a personal level. And then they spend the whole rest of the sales process justifying the decision they made in the first three minutes that they met you. Um, and uh, this was, a, again, a key component of my sales approach starting about 15 years ago. And um, I found that it works. And the idea is that when you, um, when you truly uh, act in a way that people feel that you care about them, um, you get better access to what they believe to be true. So it improves rapport. Um, there's a great uh, book by Stephen M. R. Covey, The Speed of Trust. And there's, there's a lot of science behind the fact that when you accelerate trust, you accelerate all decision-making, hence the sales cycle. So it starts with this core of how can we build rapport faster, and I believe the, the quickest way to do that is to demonstrate genuine curiosity 
about what the person you're talking to feels is important. Um, that's where it starts. And it's actually a two-way street. Um, I've been you know, diving deep into the research, and uh, there's a lot of evidence that when people have their curiosity peaked, their incidental memory increases. In other words, they're going to remember what you said more. If people remember how you made them feel, yeah, they don't remember as much of what you said. Um, so not only is it uh, a mechanism for salespeople to act in a more curious way, what that does is it spawns curiosity on the part of your prospect, accelerates trust, accelerates their retention of what you're trying to deliver. It also raises dopamine levels. They literally get happier. Um, and obviously when people are happier, they're more likely to make a decision favorable to what you're discussing. So that's sort of at the core of what curiosity quotient selling is, Adam. No, I love it. And so what would be, um, if, if, let's say, and I know you have a complete program, um, but let's say that you're, you know, you're coaching a, you know, a, a new guy. And let's say that he, you don't have that, that much time to give him the whole program, but you're sitting there and he says, you know, like, how can I be more curious? I don't know if I'm, if I'm naturally curious. How, how can I, how, what can I do? Like, what can I do to start down this path? Just to start. Yeah, uh, happy to, to talk about that. And I'd also like to come back to what sales leaders can do to enable a curious organization, because that, in my opinion, is really where the action is. The, the fulcrum of change is around the sales leaders. Uh, <laughs> but the key really is about getting your intent in mind before you ever pick up the phone, write an email, uh, and that intent needs to be understanding what this person believes to be true from their point of view. And as much as we may feel we understand what a company or a person needs, the reality is we all see the world through our own biases, through our own lenses. And it's virtually impossible for you to guess what they truly believe to be true at a personal level. So the first thing is just get your intent in mind. Secondly, we're living in an environment where there's a tremendous amount of information available in the public domain. And with a little digging, we can learn a lot about the basic information. I hear way too many salespeople waste time in sales calls uh, collecting information about stuff that they should already know. And frankly, coming to the meeting well-equipped with that information is the first sign for your prospect that you're curious about them. So invest the time to understand what's going on. Listen to the analyst call. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that uh, one of the other benefits is a qualification is, in my opinion, one of the most critical issues because the only thing we really have control of as salespeople is how we spend our time. And I am fiercely uh, intent on uh, qualifying my prospects. And so if you collect the information you need to get a starting point and then really dig in, you can very quickly figure out, is this person going to be aligned with the kinds of solutions I might propose and, and get to a yes or no faster? And always make no an okay answer. That's another critical element because when people know that no is an okay answer and they can feel that in the way you're interacting with them, you're much more likely to get access to what they really believe to be true uh, and therefore do a better job at discovery and uh, develop a solution that truly does meet their needs. I love it. And, and I mean, one of the, the benefits on the back end, there's many, but to getting to that no and to getting and making it okay is, um, I'll tell you, like in my career, I've gotten many referrals from people that maybe I wasn't the right fit for, but they they actually had somebody else that um, was really in the market for what I was doing at that time. 
and also I always had a clean a, a clean um, pipeline in my CRM. So I always I didn't have this fantasy of things that might happen. I was always dealing with reality, which always made me hungry to um, continue to fill that pipeline and not think about what might happen. So there's a lot of complexities to like to what you say and, and the levels of why that will make you more successful overall. Um, let's talk let's talk about the organization. Like what is that the curious organization as you were mentioning, what does that look like? Yeah, well, it's interesting. There's a woman by the name of Francesca Gino from Harvard that, that did a study, and she called it the ROI of curiosity. And what she learned was that virtually every CEO she talked to would say out loud that curiosity was important to drive innovation and improve um, their top line, but they don't act that way. Um, and what <laughs> curious organizations need to do is they, first of all, need to make failure okay, I'm not suggesting that you can constantly fail and never make quota, but you can't take chances if you don't believe that failure is okay. And so um, to get people to act more curious and be more innovative, um, that's one critical element. Um, and then they need to um, arm their people with the tools that they need to behave in a curious manner. Uh, I believe many of the sales methodologies out there today are frankly too busy. Um, there's too much going on. Um, I think that if we zero in on the discovery process and, again, really get people to focus on being curious and understanding their clients' needs, the rest of it is, uh, is to a large degree, noise. Um, we need to get the momentum. We need to get their interest. Um, yes, we need to uh, have some tactical aspects so we collect the elements we need to deliver belt pricing and things like that. But if you can first uh, uh, secure that rapport, that stuff comes easy. Um, whereas I think a lot of times today it's sort of flipped. People try to do discovery by uh, getting at the indicative characteristics, the more tactical aspects to decide is this a client or company that fits our mold before they really um, focus on understanding it from the client's perspective. Um, and so leaders need to, um, uh, need to uh, both in the things they say and the way they act, uh, embolden their, their people to act that way. Got it. And so if a leader is listening to this and he knows, he or she knows, they're like, you know, I, I'm I'm one of those people. I'm like, if, they're, if they're listening to this and they're like, yeah, I'm one of those people, I say that line, but I don't necessarily actually do it. What would be their, like, their first step? What would you say? Um, well, I think that, you know, the challenge is that uh, leaders are, they've been successful for a reason. They're rational mm -hmm. people. Um, I, you know, I think the key is always to, to provide evidence. Um, mm. And there is a lot of evidence available that, that I share with my clients and prospects. Um, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite professors from, um, from business school was a marketing professor named Peter Fader. And uh, he uh, is working on a body of work that uh, really gets into the uh, idea of client lifetime value. And the reality is that if we take the time to truly understand our clients, not only are we more likely to close them, but we're more likely to close clients that are going to produce a higher client lifetime value, which means that we're going to have a greater profitability over time. We're going to waste less time trying to serve clients that aren't a good fit. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, my experience, uh, Adam, is that you need to provide evidence, and there's plenty of evidence there uh, if we just look at it. Um, and then, um, you know, it just needs to be, it's like any other habit. It needs to be reinforced. Uh, so the best leaders I know 
have enough humility to understand that they may not have a perfect uh, introspective insight, uh, and they do need that um, that coaching. And so the best leaders I've seen do uh, bring coaches on to help keep them, if you will, uh, focused on the things that they know are important, but they sometimes forget in the heat of battle. No, I love it. Um, a lot of value added to this episode, and I knew you would. That's why I was excited. As soon as we got on the line, I'm like, oh, man, I got I got to hear this. This is going to be a good one. Um, for myself and also for my audience that's listening um, um, by you sharing your insights. So where if somebody listening, they want, they want more information, they want to um, explore coaching with you or bringing you into their organization um, to help out, what, where do they reach you? Uh, well, uh, we're at uh, cqselling.com. That's C-Q-S-E-L-L-I-N-G.com. Or they can email me at alex at cqselling.com. Um, and, um, you know, we do, uh, uh, we do have, um, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of insight again about these sorts of things that are required to enable a curious organization, but I don't want to create the impression that it's a one size fits all. Um, and in fact, uh, the other thing that I would encourage organizations to think about is how they formally assess their sales organizations, which is an important component of CQ selling both from the perspective of hiring and also role assignment once you bring the person on board. Uh, and would, of course, be happy to uh, share my additional insights uh, with anybody that's got a little curiosity about how this might work. Oh, I love it. If you're curious about how it might work, then contact uh, Alex over at CQ Selling. Uh, Alex, I really appreciate your time today. And, again, you selling, you're sharing your wealth of knowledge with my audience. Um, for everyone listening, uh, Alex knows his stuff. Look him up on LinkedIn, Alex Berg. Go to his website, contact him if you would like to get a little bit more curious and help your organization grow. Um, thank you again for listening. Again, Adam Torres over at uh, on Instagram, at Ask Adam Torres. Um, if you're interested in becoming an author to apply to one of my books, don't forget to go to the website, moneymatterstoptips.com, and click on become an author to see if uh, you'll be chosen to be in one of my upcoming books. Alex, thanks again. Have a wonderful day.